John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 926.IS0324, certificate number 22584. La Pétain Man. First, I give you the tenor voice. The baritone. The bass. The soprano. And the harmony. We've established in the dynamic of our show and in the dynamic of our friendship and on our online personalities that you are a punner. A punster? A punist. A punist. Punist? Uh, Someone who thinks punter? that puns are funny. A punter. <laughs> Let's call it that. I don't think puns are funny. Oh, you just have an you you like to have a compulsion yes. to make puns. Puns are like farts. Your own smell good. It, is your father a punning man? Yeah, I think so, but less off the cuff and more like long jokes that then end something like uh, a niche in time saves Stein or something. Right, I see. Like some punny spoonerism. Sh- shaggy dog stories that, that... That then end in a pun. End in a pun. And make you sad. Oh, my God, I can see why your father is so frustrating to you. So, like, it, this is the kind of thing where each generation gets a little better. Uh-huh. Like, my son will do no puns at all. He, well, good. And he and I then could share a long bus ride. You guys can hang out. It's it would Maybe I should do a podcast with him, because your puns drive me right up the wall. But they are extremely popular with people. They people love your puns because they're very so. clever. Mm. They're, they were they are uh, the they they're evidence of a fast mind. Clever is the eunuch version of funny. That's what <laughs> that's what George Meyer used to say. <laughs> but how are you with uh, how how do you feel about potty humor? How are you with with the with with potty talk? I'm not squeamish about it. Um, this is something else that I heard from George. He said, you know, people either think potty humor is funny or sex humor is funny, but not both. Oh, interesting. And I guess the implication is that, uh, that one is kind of a, a what? A, facsimile of the other or a, or a, a shallow well, imitation? Yeah. The one is like the, the childish, uh, the one is the adolescent version of the other. Like at some point, normal people should move beyond 
yeah, poo poo and pee pee jokes. Oh, I was gonna say maybe the sex humor is <laughs> yeah. the adolescent version. You, got, you finally gotta wait for your sex drive to cool <laughs> so you can start making jokes about poop. <laughs> The, egg, I, the eggplant emoji gets replaced by the poop emoji. I am squeamish about it, typically. I don't... Uh, we should say that George Meyer is our mutual friend who uh, is uh, t- saying to the futurelings who probably have statues of him erected in the in their future virtual squares. But George is a, is a great comedic writer. Legendary and, for his work on the original Letterman staff and then the, right, Simpsons. And the Simpsons. And uh, is a is a great sort of uh, also a thinker, a good thinker about comedy and and society, and a guru in general. Yeah, because he's a very calm uh, personality. He's he, he's he not does. the kind of frenetic, neurotic comedy writer that you wouldn't want to hang out with. He calms both Ken and I down. We often ref- we often consult him, even when he's not here. We consult his his ghostly image, his wisdom. Um, but I don't like. Uh, potty humor to talk about that why i don't i don't know it always made me squirm and it wasn't just squeamish but squirm with with discomfort Cr- cringe yeah cringe that's right even even as a young person i felt like that was i don't know like, base like you find that the jokes about it uh, are uh, are uh, untoward or you actually are uncomfortable with the defecatory uh, the excretory process no 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 i'm not like i'm not retentive uh, <laughs> nobody likes to go to the bathroom more than I do. I gotta say, <laughs> like, I love going to the bathroom. Yeah, it's one of the best places, one of the nicest rooms in the house. I had a Sunday school teacher once when I was like a, a, a horny teenager tell us that uh, there's nothing more overrated than sex and nothing more underrated than a good bowel movement. I, I've, <laughs> I think I've told you the story of the priest in Idaho. I was drinking with this... Uh, with this Jesuit at the Fish Bar in uh, Sandpoint, Idaho. Is the Fish Bar a? It was a, a bar it, fish shaped like a fish. It's is it Jesus themed? Uh, no, it's it's a uh, fisherman themed. The entire Jesus bar was a, was a fish. You walked in the mouth of the fish, and there was a long bar against one wall. Wow, it was called the Fish Tavern. Is it still there? It's since been torn down. Oh. Um, but it was a place that back in the eight about well. 60s, 70s, and 80s. I drank there in the 80s. They served red beer, which was beer with tomato juice, which was a kind of fashion in northern Idaho. Other places, too, but it was the only place I ever drank red beer. Beer with tomato juice is called red beer? Red beer, yeah. Seems like you could add anything red to beer and make it red beer. Well, add you, raspberry jello. Why I not? know. I mean, St. Patrick's Day, green beer is just it's green just food, food coloring. coloring. Yeah. But red beer is beer mixed with tomato juice, which was a popular beer at the fish tavern where i drank with this particular priest one day who asked me standing at the bar he's in his priestly vestments he said how many bowel movements do you have a day and at this point in my life that felt like as honest a conversation to have with a priest as any you can't say you can't say no to a priest and i said i don't know one none and he was like no that is unacceptable. Do not ever have none. You should have two healthy bowel movements a day. No. And I was like, what are you talking about? Do you, do you have any idea how I live? It's like, kind of up to the universe. Well, first of all, that there's a that's a tremendously privileged pers- perspective because you need to have access to a clean bathroom two times a day, which was not true of me at the time. <laughs> 
<laughs> he, he wasn't aware of his Jesuit pooping privilege. I was like, look, man, how am I going to find a clean bathroom forgive two me, times Forgive me, Father, for I've sinned. It's been 12 hours since my last bowel movement. <laughs> but he had, a whole, he had a whole theory, and this is, I think, and we've covered this from a variety of angles on Omnibus, people that are concerned with the health of the bowel... That is a 19th and 20th century fixation for a lot of uh, for a lot of like health educators and nutritionists. And, and what was that standing in for? Since we don't see it today, that must have been something about the time. Is it the lack of other kinds of test results that all you have is the color and consistency of of uh, of output? Well, there's a long tradition of of um, the you know the bowel of as a sort of metaphor right the bowel is a place where um we are in some ways closest to death because we have the evidence of something that went in as healthy green food and through something in us some some immoral uh before you understand what nutrition is and how digestion works and how food is... It just seems like you're ruining good food. Yeah, you took this stuff and somehow... You, you, you don't think you would have the sense that you have extracted great life and, and uh, force from it? You just think you're ruining it? I think I think there we understood that food was, was somehow supplying us with what we needed. Otherwise, I mean, I don't know. Who, I can't even imagine what a... Um, what, what a caveman would think. What a of caveman pooping? would think food was, or how it worked. But you know, in a lot of what if of you ways, didn't even connect? Like, like the way people didn't know that sex made babies. They're like, I eat and then I poop, but I, I, I didn't even think it was related. How are they connected at all? If you, if you think in some ways, what you produce in excrement actually feels a lot more, like, like it's a lot. There's more. Than, than the food you than ate? you would see than you would think was in the food right like it smells <laughs> a lot more than the food does it's like a more intense you have created a much more intense product especially than back the food then when, f- when food was not intense they had no they had no sure uh, not extra nacho I mean they're just flavor. somebody sits in a field and eats a raw beet and then out comes all this am- amazing poop like it's got to be extra I should say at the top I should have said at the top of this episode spoiler or not spoiler trigger alert. Because there's just no way to discuss this topic without talking about all of these bodily functions that maybe some people that we would pref- rather skip over. That we prefer not to talk about. Don't listen to this episode while eating Salisbury steak. Well, even John prefers not to talk about these things. I prefer not to. But I think that the health of the bowel became a kind of fixation of the late 19th century and early 20th century because science finally allowed us to remove all of the humorous and uh, and uh, squeamish aspects from excrement, and you could you could present yourself as someone who lived in a world of science by not giggling yes. at poops and farts. It's self congratulatory. Yeah, you could be you could talk about this as a natural function, and you still meet people like this who wanted to. Well, this priest like in a- particular who want to make ba- the, the condition of your bowel a topic of. Of uh, of conversation. I'm not sure this has ever happened to me. I don't know if anybody has ever wanted to know anything about my my uh, excretory life. I think that the fact that we were drinking together uh, removed some of the social barriers. And, you know, he didn't ask me like anything about my sex life because what would he? What was he going to say? But we. But everybody poops. You can't deny that everybody poops. There's even a book about it. Hmm. 
It's, it should be the thing we talk about the most. It's the most universal thing. But instead, we talk about the weather, which is the second most universal thing. Yeah. Some people don't go outside today, but everybody poops. And not everybody has sex. Not everybody no. makes puns, but everybody poops. Uh, why don't we talk about it, do you think? you think it's close to death? It, well, no, it's disgusting. Like, we don't talk about it because poop is not... Why are we wired to be revolted by by our own bodily functions. Like I understand why we have aversions to, to tarantulas and, right. And uh, puff adders. I imagine that as a, uh, as a person foraging for food to discover a poop, it in a lot of ways, I mean, it's certainly appetizing to dogs. Oh, sure. There's a lot about poop that reads as food. And so the revulsion mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's like Nutella in a, in a way it is concentrated. If you, if your body is bad at extracting vitamins, it's sort of like gold tailings. Yeah. There's, uh, there's still gold in them. Thar hills. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if they're hills. (laughs) All that's been taken out is the first layer, the most, uh, easily accessible nutrients, but there's still plenty of nutrients in poop. It's why we use it to fertilize our gardens. So, yeah, I guess it would make sense that if there's some village that does not have the same kind of revulsion to poop, they all they probably died of cholera. Yeah. All, that, the, all the dumb Kevins that, that were not grossed out by poop didn't survive. We're, we're, we're made to be grossed out by poop because we don't want to mistake it for food. I, that's just my—I'm just throwing that out there as like a—just like a, uh, taking, taking a, a wild swing at it. But that's my guess. Um, I'm revolted by most bodily substances, so— well, because you don't want to mistake them for food, I guess. But also, huh? Why would be Why would be we be revolted? What's the Why what, would we be revolted by body odor? What would you instance? say is the gr- least gross bodily uh, uh, byproduct? Is it tears? Tears are not that gross. Is it fingernails? I mean, I certainly lick the tears of my enemies. <laughs> um. It depends on how close you are to someone, right? Like I, you and I would not like to lick each other's tears. No, we or or have any contact with one another's saliva. But your wife Mindy and you, or or you and I, if pro- uh, if I'm ever invited, <laughs> uh, you know, like like trading saliva would not be would not we wouldn't think it was disgusting at all. Some people do. Some people are averse to any kind of kissing or other activity that might trade. They're, they are romantic things. with people, but they just don't want to kiss. Yeah, like their saliva aversion will outweigh hmm. uh, whatever the, uh, the erotic charge is. In order for the species to survive, we need to exchange fluids with one another. Yes, but minimally, but, and in a dark room. That's right, minimally, and 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 with <laughs> with some like far far away from your your eyes and other seats, you know, sensory organs. If you can, if you can manage it, unless you are very sex positive, you are at some distance and removed from that exchange. Right, yeah. that exchange is happening elsewhere. If you're tall, it's very far away. You could be looking at each other and talking about your your household budget. You could be reading the joy of cooking and still make this exchange. Mm-hmm. And both of you could deny it ever happened. I'm sure that happened for <laughs> centuries. It did. That's, that's, How, that's where the did his, this baby come from? That's the history of Great Britain. We have no idea. Uh, it's hard to deny that you poop. First of all, everyone knows it. And second of all, um, there's a lot of evidence. I mean, unless you really go out into the woods, 
I mean, the great thing about modern plumbing is that it allows us to live in a world where we pretend that no one poops. That's right. You go into a little room, and who's to say what happened in there? One of the wonderful things about modernity, we never see a dead body, and you hardly ever have to interact with poop unless you have a freaking dog or cat. Yeah, if you have a dog or cat, you do nothing else. But poop has also always been funny. And this is the this is the the crazy second question, I guess. It's it, it it makes sense that we have an aversion to poop. But throughout history, dating back to the very earliest jokes, poop is central to what makes us laugh. There is a a uh, humor researcher named Peter McGraw, whose uh, conception of humor revolves around what he calls the benign violation theory, which, as I understand it, says that we find things funny when they do violate some norm or expectation, but not too much. And poop has the beautiful quality in that um, it's taboo. And, you know, for all these sensible reasons, it's gross, it's stinky, whatever. But it, it, It's full of sickness. <laughs> right. right. But it's, the stakes are very low. You know, there's not a lot of emotional investment. Um, the way, for example, certain sexual topics might be, might be a little bit fraught. Um, poop's a benign way to joke about the unspoken side of what our bodies do without getting into weird psychosexual territory and if you think about the first hilarious poop joke do you know it uh i think it happened i think it was probably even pre-language but if you think about it it's a status equalizer Ah. because even the king poops and when the king poops he is no longer such a big deal right so haughtiness and status and rank are all deflated when that person has to go behind a bush and poop. And so the first king that ever farted, it was the first time anyone laughed, but also the first person that imitated a king farting was the first comedian, right? <laughs> uh, because what better way to, because of, uh, because it takes all the tension out of status, which is the which is kind of the first and preeminent thing that divides us and puts tension in between human beings. Like who's the bigger who is the bigger tiger? And that's a lot of what humor does is kind of deflate or uh, or poke at those those tense divisions. Right. In our modern in our modern era where we talk about punching up and punching down, there's all this like grousing on the part of comedians who feel like they're not they're not allowed anymore to punch down. But in fact, all humor, all the best humor is deflating the the um you know, the the overstuffed aspect it's all punching up really the best stuff and it starts with farts or fart jokes do you feel like do you feel like that's the that's the er potty humor is fart jokes because it has it is the it appeals to all the senses almost it does hopefully not taste fart jokes are uh fart jokes in a way i guess are more sophisticated than poop jokes they're at one remove from poop. Make, make the argument that they're more sophisticated. <laughs> well, because uh, of, I see. It's, because a fart is it's air versus earth. Yeah. It's, the, it's of the uh, of the classical elements. A it, fart is a suggestion of a poop, mm-hmm. right? And it also is. There's an aspect to farting that is uh, 
it's very, you would have to be sick for a poop to sneak up on you. Yes. Right? If you are standing there in a group of people and suddenly uh, go number two, there's something desperately wrong with you. And but with a, that party. <laughs> but, but, a, but a fart can sneak up on a person, and a person can be in the midst of mm. their haughtiest self. The, yes. A person can be issuing orders. You know, your, your, your queen can be upon her throne, uh, figuratively, and... Pee and poop are individual, but farting is communal. Is, it, Not is, always, but when it's most memorable. And it can really take the wind out of someone. Now who's, <laughs> now who's a pun- I'm sorry. Turf. It's almost impossible to talk about farting without r- resorting to this kind of humor. Uh, and, and first puns, and then it's, it's truly a slippery slope until you're just- to Howard Stern. If it's really a slippery slope, that wasn't a fart. Oh, boy. So what... <laughs> yeah, there you go. Fart sound. Should we add a bunch of fart sounds to this entry? Like we're, <laughs> like we're morning zoo DJs? <laughs> uh, if, you look, if you look throughout uh, the history, like there are so many fart jokes in Aristophanes, right? Yeah. There's so much farting in Shakespeare and in Chaucer. Um, and in all the literary traditions, Dante has fart jokes. Yeah. The uh, when the 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 angels, the mala, the mala Bulgia, the devils of hell are all assembled. Uh, the leader s- assembles his troops. It's Dante says with the trumpet of his breeches. <laughs> like so, so instead of a burr, 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 he, the devil farts to assemble the demons of hell, and Dante does this very kind of deadpan thing. Like I've heard, a, I've seen a lot of strange military maneuvers, and I've heard a lot of weird military signals, but I've never seen anything like this. And he's like, he's like the nice Italian Catholic boy, right. who's who's trying to scare us off of of lust and pride and envy and avarice and all these other sins, but he can't resist a fart joke. Well, and like my, my like my Idaho Jesuit of the of the mid eighties, uh, this is a th- this is a uh, a safe form of of body humor. Yes, it's a. I, I think that's exactly right. That it's a way to it, it tends to land in people like that who do not feel like they have the freedom to make jokes about sexual and erotic topics. Right. But it is, it's universal and global and throughout history, right there. The, the Kamakura period in, in Japan, in what we would call the early middle ages. Um, they're like farters were, were important members of the court in the, (laughs) wait, that was their job. Well, there have, there have throughout history been, uh, there is because for me, it's a hobby. There is the role, and for most of us, but there have throughout history been professional farters, which is to say people that whose position in society is determined by their ability to fart, and their farting is rewarded with mm. either a courtly position or a, a, a position as an artist. Just because it's such a good party trick? Because... We all do it, but like a lot of things, I mean, we all uh, we all dance too, but we're not all great dancers. And you pay extra money to see a great dancer, right? I mean, it's not it's not that uh, that anybody can put um, put butts in seats with their <laughs> with their abilities, even though we all have the ability to sing and dance. 
And but, it's true for farting. But the too. thing about farting is the ability—the ability that's usually lacking is the ability to do it on cue. It wouldn't necessarily be the the melodious quality. Precisely, and this is the thing. Uh, this is this is where our story turns to the cast of professional farters. You you could not fart on cue for long, just using the gas that your body produces as a as a component of digesting your food. Yeah, you don't, there's not that much. You just couldn't make that much gas. But but like every like every gifted artist, uh, professional farters are uh, are a class unto themselves. They how are how people, do they get around the limits of of biochemistry? They are able to um, they are able to take air in through their anus. Wait, they can inhale. They can inhale through their bottoms. And it's a, um, it's an ability that it's just a, a a way that your anus is, uh, is constructed, uh, by by the great architect, that you are that that some people are able to open and inhale using their diaphragm in reverse, but inhale through their bottom and then close their sphincter to retain that air. I'm sitting here doing kegels, trying to even imagine what that would feel like. Yeah, well, it is a it's a thing that that some of the great farters in history describe as a a, a, a talent that they discovered uh, accidentally at a time in their life, childhood usually. Uh, well, yeah, it, it, it's a thing that. I mean, it, if you can do this, have you always known or like, no? It's a thing that, that could I could I discover in my mid forties that I can do this? Oh, I wonder. I, I I wonder if you worked at it, whether or not you could develop this ability. The the titular hero of our story, um, uh, Le Petomain, uh, is a what, what is the sort of nom de nom de fart nom de theatre of a man by the name of Joseph Pujol, who was a Frenchman born in Marseille. Wait, his name is Pujols? Oh boy, it never really occurred to me until you I mean, threw the pun at it. But yeah, his name is Pujol. I still remember where I still remember the delight on my son's face when he realized there was a ball player named Albert Pujols, and he was so happy. <laughs> I suppose you could pronounce it Pujol, but I believe it's Pujol. Well, no, if it's if he's French, it would be Pujol. Pujol, yeah, right. P U J O L. I think I think Pujol. Pujol, yeah. So luckily, he's not Spanish. Yeah, right. Okay, I, you're right. The J wouldn't be a H in in French. So Pujol. So he's funnier across the Pyrenees. Yeah, he should head south. Well, he was he was funny when I was mispronouncing his name and i didn't even get the i hadn't even intentionally made that joke but joseph pujol uh from it was born in 1857 in marseille and he was you know a theatrical kid a fun guy um but at a certain there was some uh, just watershed moment i'm doing it now i'm doing it now I'm, you've got inside me no i did it again he was in the ocean on a trip with his family and was surprised, uh, taken by surprise, when his body cavity was filled with water from below. I would be surprised if that happened to me. And that's, that's relatable. He he was shocked and 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 worried, scared, and, and, and wet. Got out and of cold. the water, went to the bathroom, and you know, and relieved himself of a large quantity of water that had just sort of. Uh, that he had taken on board. This guy is so French, even the ocean is a bidet to him. 
and it took him a while to realize that and 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 he demonstrated this talent i guess to a, to a few people that he was like what's going on with it he went to the doctor he you know? to his doctor and he was like i can his, the the first exhibition of this talent was that he could put his bottom into a pail of water and take and empty the pail suck up all the water and then expel it and he showed this to a doctor and the doctor laughed and said, well, uh, don't do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> doctor, it hurts when I do this. <laughs> but, uh, but he very quickly realized that he could do it with air, too. Mm. And, uh, and, and then in expelling it, he was farting. But not expelling smelly gas. It was just the, you know, the air from the room. And he... I think pretty quickly started to recognize that this was a talent. It made people laugh. He would, he'd be at the, at work and he would say, Hey, get a load of this and, you know, do some little like, and it would have the same noise we associate with, with farting, even though it's not. Well, as he developed his talent, he realized that he could just like any instrument, uh, make a, a smaller or wider aperture. And, and uh, and fart in different pitches, mm. and fart it at diff- different um, for different duration, and he could take in more or less air and create different effects. Volume. And so in Marseille, um, in the sort of later eighteen hundreds, as he as he grew a little bit older, he started doing this as a show, and it was extremely popular. And if you think about this, the sort of late Victorian period. This was an era when so many advances were being made in the sciences and in the, in culture. Uh, it was but a, none greater. It was a great a great period in public entertainment. Like this was a this was when theaters were burgeoning. This was the era of the Can Can and the and Sarah Bernhardt and Houdini. You know everybody. This the musical was, vaudeville. This was a this was a time of great show showmanship. But this act of uh, Farting on cue was a showstopper, and eventually, imagine if, you, imagine if you're Houdini, you have to go on after that. Well, I know, right? Uh, eventually, Joseph Pujol started to call himself Le Petoman, which translates uh, roughly as the gas maniac. Oh, I see. That's what the man is. Yeah, um, and people love to see it. And he went to Paris. And he went to the owners of the Moulin Rouge, and he said, have I got a show for you? And uh, although they were a little bit dubious, he took the stage and... Uh, Can I ask you this? Does he wear pants? He does. He, in fact, he wears a tuxedo. He wears, like, white tie and tails. Um, and it classes it up. And uses a kind of... Um, he uses, like, a megaphone... Like a like the kind of megaphone that you would use at a football game, uh, like okay, rah rah. He he. You got to do your thing. You, he have, to, would, you have to do your Mister Show thing. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> he uh, he uses this to kind of amplify the sound, but he's uh, he's a gifted enough artist that he really needs no amplification. He's he's able to project to the back of the room, and he's very careful to advertise that there's no. There's no smell involved, right? He's 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 meticulous about enemas and whatnot. 
So this is all on the poster. Uh, well, it's it it it, it Mr. Crujol guarantees it quickly makes the rounds because he becomes he becomes an absolute smash, and his show is one where you know he starts off the show by kind of telling jokes that are punctuated with farts. You know, he says like, "Here's the sound of a of a, a virgin bride on her wedding night." And then here she is three weeks later. You know, he does this kind of like the kind of jokes that you would that you would imagine maybe an amateur fartist <laughs> right. might be able to accomplish. But then he would get more and more sophisticated. He could insert a tube uh, through a hole in his pants and use that tube to uh, blow out candles. And then he would play the flute and could play songs. You'd have to insert the flute. Uh, you'd put the flute into the tube. Oh, okay. He would, the, the tube was part of the act. Um, he could... The tube keeps the audience a little bit abstracted away from right. what's actually going on. He could smoke cigarettes, uh, inhale and exhale, uh, mm. by putting a cigarette into the tube. He could, get, he could be the first guy ever to get lung cancer in his colon. He, t- he, told, he, told, all, uh, he told all kinds of stories punctuated with, uh, with different sound effects. He could, he could play songs... Um, he so he could do he could do different pitches even without the benefit even without of the tube he could just he could do he could play different pitches and do imitations of people he had a he had an effect he did impressions yeah he he, he had <laughs> like an, impressions of famous people farting or impressions of famous people's like voices well sadly there are no recordings of Le Petome at one point well, Thomas Edison. Uh, made some films with him as part of a project, and this uh, this will harken back to our Smellovision episode many many moons ago. Um, he Edison was working on a thing called the kinetophonal factograph. Oh, wow, I want to use the Tom Swift's kinetophonal factograph. And the idea was that it would be a film that had a smell component. Mm. And so uh, even though... Uh, I think Le Pet Man is the worst possible subject for such a film. Right. And Le Pet Man did not produce smells, but that was part of the... the part That's of the, the fun was the idea that he was making, he was making stinkies. Rude noises. Uh, so there, are, there is some, some film, some very short film of Le Pet Man in action, but... Um, and he had many imitators, so we have recordings of contemporaries or or people in the immediate his immediate contemporaries who were imitating his style, and, and you get a sense of it. Imagine being part of the cover band of Sub Farter. <laughs> I guess if I guess if there's a number of people that have that level of sphincter control, then then you can learn the tricks, right? Yeah, right. I mean, he. Uh, it makes you wonder how many people can do it. If they put their mind to it, like is is he just a one in ten thousand physiological oddity? It seems that the, it is a fairly novel talent. Huh. Um, he he had imitators, but a lot of them were outed as frauds. <gasps> How do you fake it? Well, you I mean it's just somebody buying a hur- curtain going. <laughs> I mean it's not it's not it's not hard to fake a fart. <laughs> Uh, particularly one that's as theatrical as this. You'd have to be a ventriloquist who could throw your fart noises. If you think, he he had a bit, after the 1906 San Francisco earthquake, he often would close his show by doing an imitation of the 
1906 San Francisco earthquake. Well, that's in poor taste. Which was a fart that lasted for five minutes. I mean, he could, he did, he had some circular breathing or something that he could manage to create. Five minutes. And if you think about. Do you know how many people died, by the way, in the 1906 earthquake? Are you saying too soon? I am 100% saying too soon. 3,000 people died. He's basically doing 9-11 fart jokes. Well, but he's in Paris, so. I guess that's okay. It's like it's like people doing 9-11 jokes, except they're in Riyadh, <laughs> which I think they did. <laughs> um, so, but, so. That is such a spectacular ability that you can imagine people would line up to see someone imitate it, even if they were even if they were faking. And nobody, there's no account of people being grossed out about it or him being controversial. Women fainting. This is the wonderful thing about this because these are sophisticated and proper audiences that, well, by all, despite being French, by all accounts, laughed so hard. That the Moulin Rouge had to station nurses in the aisles because women in their tight bodices, in their in their um, their petticoats, would start laughing so hard that they would they would be unable to breathe and they'd have to get carried out of the theater. And some people suggest that that was a publicity stunt. It could also be the contrast between the kinds of things there were to laugh at then. I mean, if you see this act today, you're like, yeah, I've seen 10 gross things on YouTube since lunch. That's right. Back then, a, a, a straight-laced French woman in her straight-laced bodice. Uh, this is maybe her first exposure to fart jokes. And the contrast of him in his white tux and tails uh, standing up there and probably giving a very, um, he's hes not coming across as a as a, a gross lower class urchin. He probably spoke with a proper diction and. And a lot of the humor is in the contrast. That's right. The contrast is right. He ended up being the most highly paid entertainer in France, <laughs> earning 20,000 francs a show. Take the, that, Maurice Chevalier. The only the only uh, entertainer uh, uh, of the time that earned more was Houdini. He toured Europe. Imagine a time when the number, the, the most impressive art forms are getting out of a straitjacket and farting. Right. Those are the most prized. Being able to fart the... The Marseillaise. Like, the, uh, if there was France's Got Talent, those would be the categories. <laughs> well, Britain's Got Talent actually has, uh, it features in our story. Wait, today? Like, there are modern uh, Petomain? Not so many. So, Petomain himself um, ended up parting ways with the Moulin Rouge, opened his own theater, and continued to uh, to have a sellout run of shows all the way up until World War One. He's the first guy to do the Vegas thing of like opening his yep. own Celine Dion. Opened theater. his own place, and it's like if you want to see the Petto Man, you've got to come. If you want to see the uh, the Le Fartiste, but World War One killed killed the uh, market. For what it. happened was World War One. I, I think people uh, the audience got more sophisticated, but also his two sons were both injured in the war, and he retired to Marseille and became a, a baker and lived until after World War Two. As a as a small town baker, as a small town baker, uh, w- running a successful bakery, I think he probably, if he saved his money, probably uh, probably had plenty, uh, plenty, plenty of dough, <laughs> plenty of oh, plenty of bran. Uh, but then, I I imagine that farting culturally probably fell out of out of favor. You can't imagine a bunch of beatniks sitting around in the 50s laughing at this kind of humor. Because you think it's faddish or because you think it's not Well, in the new, si- new kinds of sophistication get y- developed? Yeah, in the same way that that um 
if you can if you think about the the brand eating Kellogg health scold of the mid twentieth century, uh, we'll just think about it when we were kids. If if uh, if a kid farted, the reaction from adults or teachers would have been. You know that's actually a very necessary bodily function, and it's not funny. You know, and it, right, you try to diffuse it by yeah. We were discouraged as kids from thinking that farts were funny by by precisely the school marmy um, like nutrition scolds that want us to believe that that's all healthy and natural, and um, trying to remove the taboo in order to I think create a world where. We're not grossed out, or being grossed out by our bodies is no longer a thing. And there, you you see some analogs in body positivism and sex positivism now. That's true. The idea that you would laugh at somebody's uh, like sex face. Although we've definitely stepped away from the idea that you can um, defuse tricky topics by just saying the word. I mean, we're more prone than ever now to say, no, 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 you still have to avoid the edgy words. Like, there probably was a time when comedians would uh, just think, no, this is how you beat racism. You say the N-word so much right. that it just becomes a series of sounds. Right. And that's not a thing. We, that's out of style. That is not, right. Out of style. Whether or not it, whether or not the idea it, it might have worked. worked. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, I think that throughout... <coughs> <laughs> throughout our, our time there's there's always there are always gross out comedians there are always people making fart jokes um in fact it, mel brooks in blazing saddles mm-hmm. named uh named the what's his what his, named the governor william j lepetomain and that's the same movie that has the the famous campfire scene. the famous campfire scene right and the and so this is mid 70s like peak fart fart humor uh, Howard Stern started using the character Fartman right. on his famous show. Uh, his Fartman. Fartman uh, he started using that all the way back in the early eighties. I forgot about Fartman, and he he went on to make a film about it. This is my this is my forgot about Dre is how I forgot about Fartman. Um, there is now a um, a contemporary fartiste finally by the name of. Mr. Methane. It should be noted. Well, Mr. Me- he doesn't use methane though. It, well, he doesn't. No, this is the this is it's kind of a misnomer. It should be noted that in Finland, um, yes, farting Go on. and fart man is kind of a beloved figure in Finnish culture. It, there's a there's a kind of famous Finnish comic um, called Paresimis. Which is like a like a Finnish uh, mockery of Superman, where instead of or like a parody of Superman, yeah. where instead of Superman, um, it's Fartman or Buttman, and classy way, way to go, Finland. <laughs> it's um, you know, it's it's part of uh, it's 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 he. I don't know how I don't know whether to say he's beloved. But um, but this is a very this is a, a core popular culture thing for them. Part of part of Finnish culture, in the same way that uh, that we you know have a lot of sort of parodic figures that end up being uh, important figures, and and he was you know Fartman went to war against during this the, during the Soviet era when the Finns and the Soviets were you know they were they were, they were uh, squared off as Cold War adversaries. 
uh, Fartman's enemy was Comrade Fart from uh, from the Soviet Union and uh, and it, uh, Parasami's so you know would win win in the end. Farting becomes a stand-in for for uh, yeah Cold War nuclear tension. armament. So in Finland, there uh, there is a, a kind of a long-standing World Fart Championship where. Uh, where just like a mustache growing competition or whatever, every year people show up and and, these, and compete and, on uh, on their various fart talents. And these are not Le Peto Man type showmen and women. They're they're just um, it's just who can who can get up there and fart. People just eat a ton of radishes or something. I think there's probably a pretty clear distinction within the world farting community between people who are farting as a result of of eating food and then a true fartist or fartiste who is, who is able to take air into their body via their anus. So Finland is actually people doing the, the talent show thing. I imagine in, in order to compete at a, at a high level, in order to be invited to a championship, you would need to be able to uh, do better than just your casual backyard farter. You'd think so. Cause you want to be able to, perform on demand right mr methane is a is a british man uh by the name of paul oldfield and he's not paul oakenfield is he is he mike oldfield he's does he have tubular bells back there he's paul oldfield he's from macclesfield in england and he discovered about himself that he had this similar talent an ability to uh to take air unto himself and then create music and and, and laughter. Imp- impressions and laughter. He went through a phase, he's a little bit older than we are, but he went through a phase where he opened for rock bands. <laughs> can you imagine um, going to can you, <laughs> can you imagine going to like a Jethro Tull show or something and then this guy's opening? <laughs> he's like, alright, check it out! Uh, he uh, he kind of joined the comedy circuit in the UK. He's appeared on the Howard Stern show. He, he, well, I've appeared on the Howard Stern show and it doesn't mean I can, my God. it doesn't mean I can, how did we get here? Fart on command. He made some, he made several comedy recordings and they became uh, extremely controversial. It, he did a, he did a recording of the do Ron Ron, except with farts <laughs> and, um, and Phil Spector, uh, publicly really objected to it and said that he had desecrated <laughs> his, the, you know, this, this great work, this cultural work by doing this murderer, Phil Spector objected. He, uh, he tried to release a cover of in the air tonight, uh, <laughs> but performed all with farts. Do you know that song is secretly about the time Phil Collins went to a party and somebody farted? A lot of people don't know Interesting. that. Interesting. <laughs> makes you think. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Phil Collins and his uh, his manager refused to give him the rights. Yeah, uh, because and and they um, they like were really pretty upset about it. They were like, "This is a very serious song in the air tonight, and you are again sort of uh, desecrating this this work of art." It's a your- visceral reaction people have to to excretory acts. M- uh, Mr. Methane appeared on Britain's Got Talent. And, um, and despite, I think by all accounts, performing quite admirably, um, was 
I guess gonged off the show. I haven't seen that show, but they was he was roundly rejected as a. I think I think there was a recognition that if you won or if you continued to the final round, you were going to have to perform in front of the queen at some point, and everybody. everybody <laughs> Wait, is that true? Yeah, everybody acknowledged that that was not a possibility. That's, that's what happens in the last round of Britain's Got Talent. It gets all the way up to Buckingham Palace. Yeah, you go up to Buckingham Palace. Wow. Uh, so, but unfortunately for Mr. Methane, the internet has changed the economy of being a fartiste because as you suggested earlier, there's so much gross stuff. If you want access to somebody, uh, doing something weird with their butt, you can watch 50 videos in the time it takes you to line up to see a Mr. Methane concert. So he is, it's it's no longer the big earner. He, he's, so sad. You can't monetize farting anymore like our grandparents could. He said, he's gone on record saying like if he, if, if he was just a little older, if he'd been active in the 60s and 70s, he'd be a millionaire. But, but, uh, what a weird kind of bitterness to have. Yeah, I know. I he's going to st- take his talents to Miami. I didn't start farting early enough in life. I'm a failure. When Lepetto Maine finally died uh, around World War II, uh, there were a lot of, sort of uh, doctors and, and physiologists that wanted to um, that wanted to autopsy his body to see exactly what the, what, what it was that made him have this special ability, but his family like refused to allow his body to be disturbed. And they said, there are some things in this life, which simply must be treated with reverence. And that concludes Le Pitoman, entry 926.IS0324, certificate number 22584, in the omnibus. Uh, Futurelings, uh, besides ruining the farting economy, the internet has also provided us with the gift that is social media Hmm. uh john and i were active in uh the community at at john roderick and at ken jennings and at uh omnibus project jointly uh social media also provided one good thing a place for uh listeners connoisseurs of uh People who liked basically pulsars, farting, mm. Mm. you know, stuff like that. Yeah, whatever the whatever the uh, the Venn diagram is that includes <laughs> pulsars. pulsars and farting. And uh, what are pulsars if not the farts of the stars? That's what I've always said. Uh, you could find them in the Futurelings discussion groups on Facebook, Reddit. There's a Discord apparently now, even though I don't really know what that is. Mm, Maybe they're all getting together and, and, and Zooming. I have no idea. Maybe they're discordance. You never know. Discordance. The uh, you could send us electronic mail if you want to send us your angry notes from when you tried to have this on in the car and your kids had to listen to us talk about farts for forty-five minutes. Please send those complaints to <laughs> John Roderick. No, send those complaints to the Omnibus Project at gmail.com. Uh, send us physical items, hopefully not fart-related, mm. to. P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. I, I did not have... I, I finally found the note of the... Uh, on the last entry, the woman who sent us the vintage ties. Oh, good. So, so thank you to Sarah. Sarah, those are wonderful she ties. She says, you gotta look good for the cataclysm. Boy, truer words were never spoken. Your friend Richard Hadley, your uh, your employer on Alaskan 
public access TV. Oh yeah, Catch Twenty Two. Richard Hadley, the uh, the now um, vintage trolley restorer or captain. He yeah. sent us uh, on some kind of. Where is this Cleveland Motel Stationery? Uh, he sent us a request for an episode about Paper Suns, which is San Francisco earthquake adjacent. Maybe we should. Okay. Got to hop on the bandwagon. This time we'll be a little more sensitive, I hope, John. Yeah. Uh, and he also sent us a cool matchbook for the Skyroom Fountain Grill at Boeing Field. Oh, wow. Sometime in the mid 20th century. It is a beautiful little matchbook here. And I don't remember, some chick track was in this envelope from Scott, but on the outside of the envelope it says, Archaeologists, the discovery you hold in your hands from the depths of this long-abandoned post office box, a relic from the age of great cataclysms, may justifiably reinforce your ideas about the primitive screwheads of this era, but do not just catalog it and file it away in some warehouse. This envelope is also a clue, perhaps your first, to a monumental reference guide of wonders and esoteric that might otherwise have been forgotten in the event this envelope does reach its intended recipients. Hi, John. Ken, hopefully this is a useful addition to your collection. He sent me a chick tract, but but he was ready in case it never got opened. Nice. To explain to future generations. So please do please future proof your mail. Uh, the other way you can support the show, perhaps the way John and I appreciate the most, because we use it to buy takeout, is to support our Patreon at patreon.com slash omnibus project. You can enjoy the monthly addenda episodes. The uh, the images and other perks that come with membership, uh, plus just being able to brag to your friends, if any. Future links from our vantage point in your distant past. We have no idea how long our civilization survived. We have no idea whether you continue to think that the expulsion of gas from some inter, some inner, uh, sure, whatever organ or, you have organ. for that. Whatever kind of... Uh, Through whatever orifice. Whatever spinneret or stomat, stomata you use. If you think that's funny, well, that's on you. Uh, but we hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear, which may come in the form of like the a collective earth-ending fart. You think, giant, you think a giant methane eruption from Yellowstone would, is the equivalent of... Of Wyoming farting? What would happen if everyone on Earth farted at once? This feels like a Mel Brooks premise. <laughs> what if everyone only in the Northern Hemisphere farted? Would it move the Earth out of its orbit? Oh, wow. Hard to say. If we all pointed in the same direction? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if the worst comes soon, uh, which could very, very well be this episode. <laughs> this is uh, a real low point. <laughs> this the next episode will not be about farting, I promise. This recording, like all our recordings, may have been our final word. But if Providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus.